Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to church. Glad everybody's here, but if you're a guest, I want to say thanks for coming today. My name's Jason. I'm the pastor, and if I haven't had a chance to to meet you, then I would love to get a chance to do that maybe after service um, in the lobby. But we, this month, have been taking a few weeks to um, do these series of messages called Finding God. And the premise is very simple. Uh, The premise is that we are looking at places in the Bible where God promises that we can find him. That we don't have to guess, we don't have to hope. The Bible promises promises us that there are some places and some activities where he guarantees that, um, that we can find him. And this is good news for us because we want to find him. You are in church today. You are following Jesus, many of you, and you want to feel closer to God. You want to feel as if God is closer to you. We want to experience that. And I was thinking about just that desire that we all have to, to, to experience God in that way and just a, a relationship. You know, we, I shared with the church Tuesday night at our prayer meeting just about how crazy it is, logically, what we as Christians claim to do to have this relationship with a divine being. It's not crazy, it's supernatural. But I was just thinking about what we want that to feel like. And I had an experience this week, um, like many of you, uh, the devil really you know, tested me this week because my kids were out of school. And, um, and so I was at home. Uh, my wife had to go in a couple of days to her school in a different county. And, and so, um, but I had the opportunity one of the days to go out to lunch with my oldest daughter, Sadie. She's on the front row. I'm going to embarrass her. She loves this when I talk about her. Um, but I picked her up from a friend's house and it was just her and I. And so her and I went to lunch together to one of my favorite spots. And and we sat at lunch, and, and if you have parented growing kids or adult kids, you know what it is that I'm about to describe. This is a new experience for me. I have a 15-year-old who's, you know, getting older every day. And so we went to lunch together, and um, I sat there as I was listening to her talk, and I just couldn't stop grinning. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about if you've parented older kids. But uh, Sadie stopped playing travel soccer recently, so we're not driving to tournaments and practices together as much. And then she rides to school with her mom now, so we're not spending that time in the morning together anymore. And so a lot of our time has just kind of decreased together. And so I just thought we were going to eat lunch, but as we were sitting there eating lunch, I just couldn't stop grinning because I had an hour with my oldest daughter that I was getting to spend time with. Am I embarrassing you yet? No, not yet? Okay, great. And uh, it didn't matter what we talked about. It, did, it didn't matter. Uh, I was just happy to be with her. I didn't care what she ordered. I didn't care how much it cost. You know, there was a limit to the menu. I wasn't worried about it. I picked the restaurant. But there was, we just had time together. And my heart was so full when we left, fuller than my stomach, because of just time with someone that I loved and feeling as if we were connecting. 
And I think that if you've ever experienced something like that, and many different, I'm sure you have, I hope you have, we want that with God. We want to have that type of experience with God. We want to feel as if there are those moments, either when we're praying or when we're worshiping or when we're reading our Bible or when we're practicing silence and solitude. We want to have those moments where we just feel as if our heart is being overwhelmed with presence, the presence of of God. And so um, this is our desire that, that we want to experience this. And the Bible promises us that there are certain things that we can do in order to have those types of of experiences. And of course there are times, of course there are times in our relationship with God where no matter what we try and no matter what we do, we go through what the ancient writers call the dark night of the soul. That yes, there are seasons of our spirituality that even though we're praying and even though we're reading and even though we're loving and even though we're worshiping, we do feel distant from God. But more often than not, our distance from God is within our control. Okay, let me say that again. That more often than not, the closeness or the distance that we feel with God is within our control. Now, we can find him if we look for him in the places he tells us he can be found. It's like I've said to you before, the first week of this series, it's like playing hide and seek with a small child. They want to be found more than they want to hide. They're going to make sure you find them. This is the way that God is with his presence um, in, in our lives. So the question is, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard if God promises us and it's what we want and it's what he wants, then why is it so hard to do that? Well, we've been using two images during this series. I wanna show you the first one. The first image just gives us kind of a reality check about the world that we live in and what's happening to our souls. That you and I kind of, if we just naturally go with the flow, we're kind of formed by this world, then we're going to live a distracted, addicted, exhausted life. It is the recipe that the world gives us. And that leads to eventually this despair in our souls. And so you and I, as we want to find God and search for God, we show up into these moments addicted, distracted, and exhausted. And we, and we, we desperately want to connect with God, but this is the condition of our souls. And so what we've been saying, show you the second image, is what we've been saying through this series is that to find God really What we need to do is start with grace and recognize that it's God drawing us, it's God leading us, it's God prompting us. There's not pressure to do it a certain way or to do it right, that we can't earn anything, that we are receivers. So we gotta start with grace, not more efficiency in to-dos. But then there is effort on our part. Grace is not opposed to effort, only earning, Dallas Willard said. And so we do certain things, we try in certain ways, and then Lastly, what we've been saying is we want to give our attention to God, that it's not just knocking out things, but like as we go through our day and our hours and our moments and our job and our parenting and our, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, that God just doesn't get 30 minutes or an hour or 15 minutes or a car ride. He gets all 24 hours, even though we have other responsibilities, he still gets all 24 hours. We're just paying attention to what it is that that he may be trying to do. 
And so we've talked about seeking God. That was one of the promises that God made, that if we'll seek him, we'll find him. Last week, Pastor Joe did an amazing job preaching on helping the hurting because Jesus promised that when we help those who are hurting, we are actually helping him. That's what he said. He said, you were doing it to me. Um, And so we find him there. We can find him in the face of those who need the most help. And so this week, I wanna talk about the topic of repentance. Everybody say repentance. Repentance, repentance, repentance. What I wonder, I've wondered all week, I do this when I type out sermons, I wonder like at different points in the message what you're gonna be thinking because I'm always thinking when somebody's talking, you know, which is bad, but I need to be more present. But I'm thinking and I wonder what you're thinking when I say the word repentance. What comes to mind when you hear that word repentance? Because it's kind of an old school word a little bit. I mean, a little bit. We say it. We're familiar with it potentially if we have been around church or have read the Bible. But it is kind of an old school word a little bit. And I think that there's probably maybe two main experiences in the room with the idea uh, of repentance, two experiences with repentance in the room. This won't relate to everyone, but I do think it, it relates to to a majority of the people in the room. I think there are two experiences. I think there's the Catholic experience with repentance, and I think there's the Pentecostal experience with repentance. Now, everyone in the room is not Catholic or Pentecostal, but it didn't grow up that way, but a lot of us did. It's one of the things I love about this church is that God was just kind of like, I'm just gonna mix it up with all different kinds, and I love that, uh, and I never imagined I would pastor a church like that, um, but I love it. I love it, and so When I say repentance, I think for those who grew up Catholic, which I did not, everything I've learned about Catholicism, I've learned from you. I don't know if that's good or bad. I've just learned it from you, okay? But for the Catholics, when I say repentance, you probably think of the act of confession, confessing to the priest, however it is, the the setting that you would do that. And then as you confess, you receive, you know, some type of penance for your action, what it is that, you know, you're doing to make up for that as you receive forgiveness um, from God through the priest, if I understand that correctly. And so when I say repent, maybe that's kind of what you, what you think of, if it's the school or the, or, the, or the place that you attended for worship. And then for Pentecostals, which I am one, you may think of repentance as walking down to an altar anytime you were convicted of doing something, right? I'm much more familiar with this than I am confession. Um, But in both instances, what was happening was there was this recognition of wrongdoing, okay? And we needed to confess to someone or to God and to repent for what we were doing so that we could receive forgiveness from, for our sins, which raises an interesting question. Why do we need to do that? Why, why after we become a Christian, do we still need to repent for our sins? And the reason that I ask that question is because if you've been attending Hope City long at all, you know that we say every time we open the Bible, we say that we get credit for Jesus's life. We've already been forgiven. Our sins have already been accounted for. And so you're not only as saved as your last confession or only saved as the last time you walked to an altar. So why is it that you would need to repent? Well, the answer to that question is that technically, 
technically, according to the Bible, we've already been, what the Bible would use is the phrase, made righteous in God's eyes, and this is because we get credit for Jesus's life. So hang with me, because we're gonna get technical than practical. So technically, the Bible says that when you become a Christian, when you are converted, you are, the Bible phrase, made righteous, which means in that moment, you get credit for the life of Jesus. You are no longer condemned. When you stand before God, you will be saved. Your eternity is secure because in that instant, the judge in the courtroom of eternity says, you're right. That's what it means to be made righteous. Are you still with me? Okay, so that you're made righteous, okay? But then the Bible also says, which sounds like a contradiction, but it's not, that even though you are made righteous, you are also being made righteous, which is like, huh? I thought I was already made righteous. Yes, but I'm also being made righteous. Yes, yes, that's, that's what's happening. That you are already righteous in God's eyes. You are already seen as and viewed as sinless to God, but you are also learning how to sin less. Are you with me? So God sees you as sinless, but you're also learning how to sin less. Everybody with me? Okay. So this is the technical idea of what the Bible says about why it is that we are confessing and repenting and learning and growing. And um, I think the reason that I love talking about this topic so much is because I have... Um, I have this traumatic experience or experiences, recurring traumatic experiences from uh, my childhood. And some of you will relate to this so well. We can laugh about it after service because I know some of your backgrounds. But uh, as I was growing up in the churches and kind of religious environments that I was raised in, um, I was terrified, terrified that I was only as saved as the last time that I had repented and, and the next time that I would repent. That in between there, it was a really scary thought in my mind that I had sinned or, or backslidden in between the last time I confessed at the altar and the next time I would confess to the altar. But if Jesus came back in between, I was, I was done, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I was just so terrified that God was going to come back during P.E. <laughs> because I really struggled in P.E. And the devil won out. And I cursed like a sailor during P.E. During middle school. I went through kind of a ghetto basketball phase. And I, and I, you know, my mom wouldn't let me pierce my ears. But everything else, I did it. I had it. I had the whole thing. And man, I would just curse like a sailor in P.E. And I was convinced that God was going to come back during P.E., seventh grade. And if he did, I'm going to hell, man. Because I've been baptized like four weeks every, at camp every summer, and I go to the altar, and I cry, and I'm, I plan on going back next week because I know P.E. got me. But if he comes back during P.E., I'm going to hell. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes I would think like, man, I've been good this week. I didn't cuss in P.E., but if we get in a car wreck and I die, and right before I die because I'm startled, I say a curse word, I'm going to hell. Because, because I didn't have a chance to like say, God, I'm sorry for that curse word that I said. 
You could tell cursing was a big deal in my family. You don't do that. But I would do it behind my parents' back all the time. <laughs> and so I had this, this real fear that, man, I did, I did repent for my sins Sunday, but then I watched that TV show. And if he comes back before Sunday, I'm going to hell. And um, some of you... You, you know this fear, this idea of this guilty conscience that just weighs down on you. And so that's why I'm passionate about this topic, because um, we don't have to live with that kind of fear. Now, I was so afraid, and some of y'all did this too. I was so afraid that I would be laying in bed at night, so worried that I missed the rapture. That I would, anybody else do this? I would call out to my mom and dad, mom, dad, like I needed something. And then they would be like, what? I'm like, never mind. I just want to make sure they were there. Anybody else scared you missed the rapture? Come on, anybody. Yeah, me and Kaylee. Yeah, missed that. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And then like an hour later, I'd be like, mom. She'd be like, what? I'm like, never mind. I just want to make sure they were there. Because I knew my parents were going to make it, but I didn't know about me. Okay, but we don't have to live like this. And I laugh about it now, but it was real. What I didn't understand then and what I still struggle with to this day sometimes is to remember that I have already been made righteous through Jesus Christ. My, my, I am saved. My eternity is secure. But at the same time, I am being made, hopefully, through a relationship with the Holy Spirit, more like Jesus every day. So this is really important for every Christian to understand, okay? It's not a contradiction. We've been counted as righteous and we're being made as righteous. God sees us as sinless and we're learning how to sin less, okay? So the reason we're talking about repentance today is because while our sins have been forgiven, they are also keeping us from feeling as close to God as we wanna be. Let me say it again. Our sins have been forgiven, but they are also, the sin that we have in our life is also keeping us from feeling as close to God as we want to be. Because when there is consistent, unrepented sin in our life, we are going to feel distance from God. Not because God has changed how he feels about us, but because what we're doing changes how we feel about God. Is everybody still with me? So just because you had a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad decade, okay, it doesn't mean that God has changed how he feels about you, but your actions do change how you feel about God. He's not moving away from you, but you are moving away from him. But it's in confession and repentance that we close that gap. Confession and repentance. So Grayson read our scripture for us today, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Let me read it to you again. It says, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and he will forgive generously. Now this is interesting because it seems to imply that there are these um, certain times when God is nearer than others through, through his conviction. 
that there seem to be, you know, this is one verse, there are others, but there seems to be this implication that there are certain times in our life where God, there's a, there's a window or an opportunity where the presence of God through conviction is stronger than other times. And you know what this feels like in your life. There are some times your conscience feels guilty and other times you're like, I feel great. Let's live it up. And so to be clear, you can repent anytime. But these verses in Isaiah have been written, they were written to people who had been exiled from their land. God had given them over to their enemies because they had turned their back on God. He had promised that if they turned their back on God, he would give them over to their enemies. And so this, these verses are not just talking about having a guilty conscience. It's literally talking about getting their land back and their life back. And the prophet Isaiah, in essence, says, there is a window here where you can return to God and he'll make everything right again. There's a window here. Historically, we know that window was about 70 years, but, but there is this window here where you can return to God and he'll, he'll make everything right. And so their situation isn't exactly the same as ours, but it, it's similar in that there are certain times in your life and in my life, if we're giving him our attention, if we're paying attention, when it feels as if God is pressing on your heart stronger than other times, certain windows of conviction or remorse. And when those times come, God is inviting us to find him. He's not condemning us or trying to make us feel guilty. What he's doing is in essence, he's saying, hey, let's address this sin in your life so we can get this out of the way so that you and I can be closer. That's why I'm showing up and pressing on you and knocking on your heart and you're feeling certain ways about certain things in your life. And when those times come and God is inviting us to find him, what do we do? We repent. We repent. We confess. We change our ways. We receive mercy and generous forgiveness, Isaiah said. So the question is, how do we do that? How do, how do we do that? How do we confess and repent? What does that look like in our life? Well, that's what I want to teach you for a few minutes we have left this morning. Specifically, I want to teach you um, three kinds of confession and repentance, and, or really what I would say is like three levels, and I normally don't like to use the terminology of levels because I don't, the spiritual life is not just this like perfect progression, but I think in this instance, it is kind of levels, and I mean levels as in depth, um, because the way that you repent and the things that you rep repent for change as you spiritually mature. And in a very practical way, when you first start following Jesus, a lot of your confession and repentance is about the things, your actions that you're doing on the outside of you. And as the longer you serve God and the more you spiritually mature, the more it progresses for the things that you're confessing and repenting for happen on the inside of you. So that's what I mean by levels. And so um, I want to I give you these three kinds or three levels and as we work through these, it's probably going to be a little, it's probably going to be counterintuitive to what many of us assume about confession and repentance. Because when you're a new Christian, I don't know, you know how long you've been serving the Lord, but if you take somebody who's been following Jesus for, let's just say, three months, and you take someone who's truly been following Jesus for 30 years, not just one year 30 times, but 30 years following Jesus, 
our natural tendency is to think that the longer you serve God, the longer you follow Jesus, 30 years, that you would repent for less things at 30 years than you would at three months, but that's completely backwards. The longer you serve God and the more you love him and the closer you feel to him, the more that you are repenting because the more you see the gap between who God is and what God wants in your life. I've shared with you before the story of uh, the, the, old, the Christian singer Rich Mullins passed away many years ago. Um, and I've shared this to you before, but he, he talks about he grew up like me in the churches where he was terrified and he would come to the altar. And, he, and so he said, you know, he said that when he was a kid, he would repent. You know, he would backslide and confess and repent, you know, every six months. And then he got into college and it was like every month. And then he became an adult and it was like every week. And, and the longer he served God, he said, yeah, I, started, I started backsliding and confessing and repenting four times a day. And I think that is the experience. When you find someone who is growing in Christ and loves God and is getting closer to God, they're confessing and repenting all the time because it's a beautiful thing. And it is a place where God says we can find him. We can find him. So let me give these to you. First level or kind of repentance, confession and repentance, is what we'll just call confessing our secrets. Confessing our secrets. And when I say this feels counterintuitive, this is what I mean. Because you would think that we would start with confession of like the really easy things. And you're saying, whoa, Jason, you're saying the first kind of confession and repentance is the secrets? That's right. That's right. And I'm going to explain to you why. But when we, when we say confession, this is what most people think of. It's those things, those deep, dark things that we've never told anyone. The affair or the addiction or the way we hurt someone. Or maybe it's, the, it's sin that's been committed against you and the way that you've been hurt. And I want to just, uh, I was reading this this morning. It's not going to be up on the screen for you, but I, was just, I thought of it this morning and marked it in my Bible. I want to read for you the way that David described um, the secret sin, what it did to him, the secret sin in his life. Listen to this, Psalm 32. David said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Listen to what he says. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, David said, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit or bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. And this is what I mean when I say that sin makes us feel differently about God. It doesn't make God feel differently about us, but it makes us feel differently about God because we're carrying around guilt and we're carrying around shame. And it's not just that we do wrong things, it's that we believe there's something wrong with us inherently as a person. And, and we're carrying that around with us as long as there is unconfessed, unrepented, secret sin in our lives. 
And I'm not saying it should be easy. I'm not saying that we're just gonna partner up this morning and, you know, confess your deepest, darkest secrets. Go. Find a stranger. No, that's not what I'm saying. Many of us have secrets we've kept for a long time, but I can promise you it's terrifying. You think it may blow your life up, and you know what? It may blow your life up. I can't say it wouldn't. I don't know how it's gonna be received, but you know what I can promise you? You'll find God there. You'll find God there. I don't know what the consequences of that confession will be, but can I promise you something? You'll find God there. He will be there when you open your mouth and confess and repent. So this is the first kind or level of repentance as we're following following Christ. But the second level, after you know, confessing secrets, those things we've carried with us all this time, the second would be what I would just call confessing our sin. So confessing our secrets would be one. Confessing our sin would be two. And the difference between one and two is just that they're not secrets anymore, but we still struggle. We still, uh, we still fall. We still give in to temptation. We still do things we're not supposed to do. The difference is we're not walking alone. We have a regular pattern and relationship or relationships in our life to where people know what it is that we're tempted to do. They know what it is we're struggling with. They know what it is that is hard for us to say no to. And hear me, someone needs to know. You need someone or some people in your life that you do not feel ashamed or embarrassed to confess to because this isn't the first time you've ever confessed. And they know, and they love you, and they don't disqualify you, and you are welcome in their life, and they are welcome in your life, and they don't view you any differently because this is the 47th time you've struggled with that thing. You're just a sinner, like me, like them. The difference is it's not a secret anymore. Someone knows. Someone knows. And can I promise you what will happen in those relationships? You actually have some relationships in your life that regularly practice, practices confession and repentance. You know what I promise? You'll find God there. You'll find God there. Certain degrees of shame will begin to fall off of your life because you will finally have a place or places you can go and just be honest about the fact that you are not as awesome as you project that you are. And you will find the presence of God there. But let me give you one more. If secrets is level one, and that's kind of where we start, like, hey, I'm following Jesus now, but I got 30 years of things I need to confess and if level two is confessing sin, it's the, it's the same stuff I've always struggled with, but now it's not a secret anymore. The third level that I would say, or the third kind of confession and repentance is what I would say is confessing our sinfulness. So level one is secrets, level two is sin, but level three is different. Level three is our sinfulness. And I'm not trying to like word parse, but I think it's really important that you understand the difference between sin and sinfulness. Okay, and here's what I mean. I say all the time around here, hopefully you've heard this and, um, and, and has stuck with you, but I say all the time around here, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You've heard me say that a million times. I hope you know that. You're not, you're not a sinner because you sin. 
It's not your actions that make you a sinner. It's because you're a sinner that you sin in action. And that is what I mean by sinfulness. The Bible describes sinfulness as different than sin in this way. That sinfulness is more about our nature. It's, our, it's those natural instincts that we have to run from God and to turn from God and to look to other things besides God to fulfill us. So if we wanted to just be super stereotypical, like sin is much more than sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but if we wanted to just be like really oversimplified, we could say that like confessing our sin would be like, hey, I, I did drugs again, or hey, I slept with that person again. Like if that was level two, level three is, is much more self-aware and honest to say, hey, I'm feeling very insecure I'm feeling very jealous and envious. I, I find myself dissatisfied with who I am. And I, today I found myself comparing a lot. And I found myself not able to celebrate my friend for their happiness because I'm so unhappy. You, you understand the difference in what I'm saying? In a very oversimplified way, sin is like, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Sinfulness is, I am this. I carry this around with me and I, it's always on my shoulder. When I look in the mirror, I don't see what God sees. I see what I don't like about myself. And this is why Jesus told the story and, and um, he told a parable in Luke 18. He talked about two guys going to the temple to pray. And he said, one guy prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like those tax collectors and those sinners. And unfortunately, it's easy to pray these kinds of prayers for religious, those of us who have been in church for a really long time, we start comparing ourselves to the outside or to other people. And we say, I'm a 20-year Christian. I'm a 10-year Christian. I'm a 30-year Christian. I don't do that, 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 and that. But then the second guy in the prayer said, he beat his chest. He, he, he beat his chest and he said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. This is the real sign of spiritual maturity. Not how many days you go in between doing bad things, but how aware you are of your sinfulness. And this is why we are constantly coming to God in confession and repentance. Because like since two o'clock, I realize I need God. I need your spirit. I need your spirit. I can't go six months in between confession. I'm going six minutes because in the last six minutes, I have realized even more how great you are and how not great I am. And I need you and I need your spirit and I need your presence in my life. And so we find God there. This is why traditionally, I mentioned Catholics earlier, but this is why in Catholicism, but then in, in many of the other um, um, spiritual disciplines and practices, this is why so many prayer times start with the act of confession because you find God there. You become self-aware and you need God more and you, and you practice confession and repentance. And God's presence is there. God's presence is there. And so what is it today, as we get ready to end this message, what is it today that you need to confess not because you're a bad person compared to all the people around you. You've heard me say this before, but you know, as the pastor, everybody comes to me to share all their secrets and grievances. 
and they're all the same. And if I could just get everybody to share with each other, we'd realize that we're all struggling with like the same five things. But we think our situation is so unique and so different. What is it that is that is keeping you from feeling closer to God, not keeping God from being closer to you, but it's keeping you from being closer to God. What needs to be confessed? What needs to be repented of in your life? I've shared this story before, but I thought it was a beautiful way to end the sermon. Theophane was a um, Cistercian monk. Uh, he was living at St. Benedict's Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado, and he told this story about a day when um, he was in the, the monastery and he saw a monk working alone in the vegetable garden. He squatted down beside the monk and he said, brother, what is your dream? And the monk looked right at Theophane and he said, I would like to become a monk. Theophane said, but brother, you are a monk, aren't you? The monk said to him, he said, I've been here for 25 years, but I still carry a gun. And he drew a revolver out from the holster under his robe. Theophane said, it looks so strange, a monk carrying a gun. Theophane said to the monk, he said, are you saying they won't let you become a monk until you give up your gun? And the monk said, no, it's not that. Most of them don't even know I have it, but I know. Theophane said, well, then why don't you give it up? And the monk said, I guess I've had it so long and I've been hurt a lot and I've hurt a lot of others and I don't think I would be comfortable without this gun. And Theophane said, but you seem pretty uncomfortable with it. Yes, pretty uncomfortable, said the monk, but I have my dream. Theophane said, why don't you give me the gun? And he did. He gave it to me. His tears ran down to the ground and we embraced. What are you carrying around with you that you need to let go of? What do you need to confess? What do you need to repent? What do you need to pull out from under your robe and leave at the altar? You've been carrying it around for so long, you feel as if you can't live without it. And you have felt for a long time this distance from God because there has been something in the way, you can, you can let it go today. Confess and repent, and I promise you'll find God there. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna do what we do every week. We're going to take communion and have the opportunity for prayer. We're gonna set up three tables here, here, and here, and you'll have the opportunity to come down and to take communion today. And when we do this, we don't do it because only perfect people get to come to the table. That's not why we do it. We do it, we come to the table and we take the bread and the juice and we remember that there was only one man who ever lived who had no sin to confess, nothing to repent for. Because he's the only person who ever lived a sinless life. But when we put our faith in that person, in Jesus Christ and what he did and how he died and how he rose from the dead, we get credit for his perfect, sinless life. And we remember that when we take the bread and the juice. 
And so maybe today as our team leads us in some more worship songs, service is not over. Please don't leave. But maybe today as we sing together and we pray together and we take communion together, maybe today is the day when you give up your gun and you confess and you lay it down. Let's pray.